Welcome back to the Wondering Towards Wisdom podcast from Tactical Faith, the podcast where we take philosophy and and try to show the value of philosophy for uh, Christianity, not just for our head knowledge, but uh, for our growth as Christian individuals. Uh, I'm Joel Schwartz. And I'm Travis Koblenz. And uh, last time we talked about, uh, we talked about Plato's Mino, uh, a dialogue in which there was uh, in which Socrates discusses with an, uh, with his interlocutor named Mino uh, whether virtue can be taught and what virtue is, and we t- we talked about that and some of the difficulties that arose in that conversation, and we related it to the way that Christians, uh, you know, in apologetics, uh, in just normal everyday interaction, how we try to share the gospel and we try to encourage people toward love of God uh, and love of neighbor. And whether that can actually, what does it mean to try to teach that sort of thing? When, when we think about teaching, we're often thinking about knowledge. So how do we, how do, how can you know something? And how can you know something that you don't already know? And as Christians, we tend to have an interesting relationship with knowledge where on one hand, we really value knowledge. We put a, a, an incredibly high level of importance on people having certain knowledge um you know broadly you know the the church has said you know things like the apostles creed or the nicene creed that you need to believe these things as that that they're true that you have to know these things uh, in a sense um in order to be a christian um in, in other instances the church has said other things are super important and you have to have a particular view on a particular issue and, and to be certain of that, or there's reason to question uh, at, least, at the least how serious you are about your faith. Right. And, and on the other hand, I think we Christians have, we're really uncomfortable with the idea of knowledge. Um, uh, where I grew up, and actually Joel grew up in a, in a similar, in, in the same area, uh, the idea of pursuing knowledge almost seemed like it was opposed to faith. Uh, I remember, I remember uh, in my being in my home church and telling, uh, talking to some people, and they asked me what I was doing. I said I'm going to go, you know, study philosophy, and the lady looked at me like I needed an exorcism, and uh, and I, I recognize the idea was that the more you learn, you might, as you gain knowledge, it could undermine your faith in some way, which suggests that, like Joel said, we're we have this high regard for certain kinds of knowledge. We have a high regard for having certainty about some kinds of knowledge, and yet other kinds of knowledge we feel like we need to avoid uh, or we need to fear because it, it could disprove Christianity perhaps or in some other kind of, uh, in some other maybe uh, more diabolical way it could undermine our faith. One philosopher that we think is is a, a, a good person to engage with on this topic, or at least to start down uh, this topic with, is a French philosopher from the 17th century named Rene Descartes. Yeah, Rene Descartes is famous. He's considered uh, among philosophers as the the father of modern philosophy. Modern philosophy. Uh, isn't contemporary philosophy. Uh, modern philosophy generally is considered to run from Descartes through Immanuel Kant. 
And Descartes kind of got this ball rolling, shifting us from medieval philosophy to modern philosophy. And in many ways, Descartes' ideas have really stuck with us. Um, even if we don't, you may never have heard of Descartes, um, probably never read him. Uh, well, you may have never heard of him, as, of him as a philosopher, but if you did geometry in high school, you did Cartesian geometry, which comes from Descartes because he was a mathematician as well. Right, right. He was, he was you, you could call him a polymath, right? He was, he was very well-studied, well-traveled, and so on and so forth. Uh, he did sleep in, though, <laughs> um, so you might say he was lazy. Uh, but, uh, but he's, he's, a, he's a tremendously important philosopher for the, for, uh, kind of, uh, dramatically changing the way that we do philosophy, the move from medieval, uh, to modern. Descartes, uh, at the time he, uh, he was writing, uh, there was a group of, of thinkers called the scholastics and they were kind of those, um, I don't know a nice way to put it, but they were the kind of people that um, would just always ask questions. And anytime you asked a question, they'd, they'd be like, well, how do you know? And everything was that way. I mean, it reminds me of sometimes some of the conversations I have with my, my young children. Um, but Descartes was like, oh, you want to play this game? You want to, you want to, you know, cast down on everything. Okay, let's do it. And he wrote, what uh, a, a series of meditations on uh, that he called meditations on first philosophy. And in those meditations, he sets out to doubt everything he can possibly doubt because he thinks if I can find one thing, if I can find something that cannot be doubted, then let's see what I can build from there. As far as my knowledge is concerned and and then once we get that, we can we can set the standard of saying, okay, this is what we know. We can't doubt this. We should. There, there's no reasonable way to doubt this. And once we have this body of knowledge, then we can can have meaningful conversations because we we know what is certain in the world. Right. And this is this is a a dramatic shift from from what what came previously. So one of the one of the most important medieval philosophers was Thomas Aquinas. And if you look at Aquinas, he's constantly if you read through his his writings, he's constantly appealing to different authorities. He appeals to the philosopher. And that's a reference to Aristotle. He appeals to to different church fathers. He appeals to the Bible. He's constantly appealing to different kinds of authorities. Now, granted, it's it's reasonable. It's rational argument, but he's constantly appealing to authorities. And yet. As, as time went on through the medieval period, there was dramatic disagreement um, between different branches of philosophy. And Descartes is saying, what is, that, what is that thing on which we can ground all of our knowledge? And fascinatingly, Descartes appeals to no authority. And this might be the most important element, this may be the most important element that contemporary modern and contemporary philosophy has picked up on, is... If you don't know it yourself, if you can't establish it yourself, then you should not believe it. You should doubt it. And uh, this is how this is how Descartes begins. And so he begins with this. Uh, you might call it radical doubt. Yes, radical doubt because he 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 questions everything. He he starts. Uh, he sets the standard of things must be clear and distinct in order for them to be. On, uh, in order for us to not call them into doubt. We don't need to worry about the specific definitions of those right now. But he manages to doubt his senses. 
because I mean, you think of things where tough times where you think you see something and it's not really that way, or you think about the dreams that you have that make you question, you know, when you wake up and you're like, I feel like that really happened, but you know, it was a dream, but you, it, it I mean, I, I've been put into funks for, for a couple of days because of crazy dreams I've had that seem so real. Um, you know, he, he questions mathematics, he questions geometry, he questions, you know, everything. He even, even says, you know, I, I, it's possible that, that, you know, I'm deceived by demons and that there's not really a God and, and all these kinds of things. It's very much like the Matrix. Um, where you have a uh, where you have an entire world that's created to deceive human beings, so that they can be harvested for for power, but the whole purpose is to create a deceptive world uh, to keep people oppressed. So deception is an is an essential element of uh, of controlling people. So this is this is kind of what Descartes doing, right? He's he's creating this massive doubt, this acid of doubt. He's letting touch on everything from belief in the physical world, to belief in mathematics, uh, to belief in God, perhaps even to belief in himself, um, or at least parts of himself, mm -hmm. uh, and seeing what is left over after he's allowed this thing to run its course. What is left over? Well, I, when, when Descartes starts into his second meditation, he realizes that as he's doing this thinking, that there's something that he cannot doubt, and that is that he's thinking. That and because he is a thing that is thinking, that he must exist. Because if there's something that's thinking, then something must exist, and that something at least appears to be him. Right, and this is where we get the famous phrase uh, "cogito ergo sum." I exist. I. I think, therefore, I am. So I almost got it wrong then. Um, but I, I think, therefore, I am. And the idea is that uh, as long as I am doubting, I am therefore thinking. And as long as I am thinking, it's evident that I exist. And so after he allows the acid of doubt, as he puts it, to, to, to eat away everything, he is left with this, I think, therefore, I am. Um, and this he knows with with absolutes. This he cannot doubt, because even in the moment of doubting it, it becomes evident that it's true. It becomes manifestly evident that it's true to him. And so, uh, we might want to throw a footnote in here that there's some people who said actually Descartes didn't go far enough in his doubting. Um, everybody from uh, the Buddha to uh, to Nietzsche. Um, would would perhaps I mean Buddha is a little anachronistic, but uh, but might criticize him about this assertion that there's an I, but it seems it seems a reasonable ground of certainty that he would get this. So, uh, but Descartes doesn't simply come to this point of certainty. He also says something about um, about well he he gives us two things out of this. One is this principle. Um, the rule about clear and distinct perceptions, which we should probably hit on. Um, and the other one is what a human being is. Or maybe we should just start with Descartes and say what Descartes, Descartes is, or what I am, is how he would yes. put it.
So maybe you want to say a few things about those? Sure. Um, so for Descartes, um, for ideas to be clear and distinct, uh, for an idea to be clear, it means that it must be um, apparent if you're paying attention. So, um, you know, if you're if you're looking for something, you're you're going to see it. That that means that, that it's a clear idea. For it to be distinct, it means it has to be free from confusion with other ideas. So it's not something that you're going to look at and be like, hmm, is that some, this thing or is it that thing? I mean, it, you've probably seen the, the picture where when you look at it one way, it looks like an old lady. And then you look at it another way, it looks like a young woman. That would not be a distinct idea for Descartes because it's not – it's easy to confuse with other ideas. So – if it's obvious and it's in, in, in that if you're paying attention, you're going to see it and you're not going to confuse it with something else, it's a clear and distinct idea for Descartes. Right. And he believe, he seems to believe that all material objects uh, lack clarity and distinction to some extent. To some extent, especially when, when uh, we're using our senses to, to recognize them. Right. And this becomes this becomes kind of a big deal uh, later on in philosophy, um, talking about how perception works and, and whether we can trust our, our perceptions and so on and so forth. And it reaches kind of a head with Immanuel Kant, who just transforms the world. Um, uh, but uh, so so we have uh, this clear and distinct idea. And the other thing that the other thing that Descartes talks about is he using kind of the idea of clarity and distinction. Uh, being clear and distinct, he recognizes what he is. So he says, he says, I can, you can imagine yourself. One can imagine oneself without a body, um, you know, without the senses, all of these sorts of things we can imagine being apart from us. But the one thing that we cannot think of ourselves as not having is thinking. Right. And there's sort of a sort of a joke in there. Right. Because, OK, imagine yourself. Uh, imagine. Can you imagine yourself not imagining? <laughs> well, no, because in the moment you're imagining. And and so it's almost like Descartes says, as long as one is thinking, one one must exist. And so what you fundamentally are is a thinking or I mean, really, we're just sticking with Descartes. He's not talking about everybody else right now because he he's not certain that anyone else exists right. right but nevertheless we can all apply this we can follow we can follow his line of reasoning and that is what i am is a is fundamentally a thinking thing that is the essence of a human being or that's the essence of myself is a, a, a thing that thinks and that means and thinking includes not just thinking about things it can include uh having having certain kinds of uh, perhaps emotions like fear and anger. It can be actually thinking about things. It can be having uh, what he calls adventitious ideas. So you feel heat, right? And that's a, that's a form of thought. Um, now, it doesn't mean there's a fire. It doesn't mean that you have a body or anything, but you do have the, the you might say, the thought of heat, which is, is how he right. would use that. So, so, this is where things get kind of interesting, and, and we, we can talk about the, the different kinds of ideas, but I don't know if I want to get get into that too much, except for the the one the idea of innate ideas. So there's innate ideas, there's invented ideas, it's just stuff you make up, there's adventitious, which are things that kind of hit you apart from your will. Um, like, you know, if you get hit with a baseball, it's not like you're 
imagining yourself getting hit by a baseball. You just get hit and it hurts and you can't, you don't want it to not, you don't want it to hurt. Um, but innate ideas, innate ideas are how Descartes gets, in fact, one of the, that we've already encountered an innate idea and that is belief in himself. Right. He also uses innate ideas to get to belief in God. Right. Right. And he comes to belief in God and he claims it's, it's quite certain. So can you tell us a little bit? So he's got innate ideas. He's got clear and distinct perceptions. How does this get us to belief in God? So he, he takes this, you know, keep in mind, he's still just a thinking thing. That's, that's all he, he knows right now is that he's the thinking thing. And then he thinks about this idea of perfection and the idea of perfection cannot come from imperfection, according to Descartes. That that he says that which is more perfect cannot arise from a less perfect idea. So, um, if we have the idea of perfection, it's when we look at our own lives where we fall short, kind of thing. Descartes saying that's because we have the idea of perfection that allows us to recognize when we're falling short, not the other way around, where we sort of maximize our our uh, characteristics or whatnot. Um, and he says, so if we have this idea, and we we and it came to us, then it has to be something with that's as real as the idea itself. You know, we can't have this this a fantasy made up um, idea that doesn't come from something real. And, uh, and so ultimately there has to be something outside of me. I'm not alone in the world in order for me to have this idea of perfection. And the perfection could only come from a thing that's perfect, or in this case, a being that's perfect, which is God. And so because I have this clear and, and distinct idea of perfection it had to come from God so that God must also exist in this universe with me. And I can be certain of that because of this clear idea. Right. And one of the things he talks about is he's, because I think a lot of people might, might be like thinking, okay, what is he talking about here? This doesn't make any sense. Well, you got to remember that he only believe at this point, he only knows that he himself exists. Right. And yet he has this idea of perfection. And if you, and this perfection is above and beyond him and he knows this. If you were the only thing that existed, how could you possibly know – how could you even have the idea of something better, right? You would only know – the only thing you could know is yourself. Um, now, there might be a little confusion here, but let's give Descartes the benefit of the, of the doubt here. <laughs> a little joke here maybe. But uh, – um, and so uh, because of that, it must come from outside. The thing must be as great, and so therefore there's this idea of a perfect being, which we'll call God. Um, and we have these ideas of perfection. These ideas of perfection include the, the idea of, of not being willing, uh, to deceive others, mm-hmm. uh, not to not be an error and so on and so forth. And so, uh, Descartes gets this idea of this perfect being who created us and put within us because Descartes didn't create himself, um, and put within us knowledge of the perfect being. And so within, because it, it doesn't come from the senses, uh, it's not something we just make up. Uh, therefore, it must be innate because it's the only option left. Um, and so God created us. God put with us, within us knowledge of himself. Um, if that's the case, then why are we 
why are we riddled with confusion and error in our knowledge? Descartes has an answer for that. He says it all comes down to freedom, but not necessarily in the way you think he might be using freedom. So he says that um, freedom is about choosing, which I think we, we most all agree with, but that the where we make mistakes is when we make choices about things beyond which we have knowledge. So if we make a choice and we don't have all the knowledge about the, the, the choice we're making, then we're going to make bad decisions. And so Descartes says, if we want to not make mistakes, we just don't make choices about things we don't know, which is easier said than done because you have to realize, you start realizing that when you make a choice about even things that you're almost certain about, or you think you're certain about, there's there's still some things you, that you're not, you don't quite know for sure. I mean, it's a whole butterfly effect kind of thing of, uh, you know, Descartes wasn't thinking about this, but the whole, you know, a, a butterfly flapping its wings causes the, the tsunami or whatever, um, because of how complex the, the natural world is and how the littlest thing can, can change things. Uh, but for Descartes' purposes, if we just stick to what we know, then we won't make bad. Then we won't make mistakes. Um, and so it's not God's fault that we misuse the freedom that He gave us, that we misuse this faculty He gave us. Uh, it's ours, and so we just have to. And you know, God has the, this that faculty of freedom too, but He knows everything, so He can never make a mistake. And you can you can see from here sort of the the birth of modern epistemological kind of rigor, right? Mm -hmm. The need to be very clear about what it means to know something, mm -hmm. to develop methodologies for being being careful about it. So, the modern uh, concern about scientific method, about examining our faculties to find out where there is error, um, and and the the considerable testing. Uh, this is this kind of all is reflected or perhaps in some ways birthed out of Descartes' concern about establishing certainty and, uh, and knowledge about the world. And in fact, it might reach sort of a, a fever pitch with Clifford's uh, famous, famous piece called The Ethics of Belief, where he says, uh, if you don't have time to learn something, or, you know, you should not believe anything anywhere it is wrong. Let me let me just quote it. It is wrong anywhere. Well, it's not quite a quote, but for everyone at all times to believe anything upon insufficient evidence. And uh, you know, William James gave a famous response to that. And I'm uh, sure we'll talk about that in a future podcast too. Yeah, we'll probably get. Well, Clifford's a fun, uh, fun guy to beat up on. But uh, but any he, he says near the end, he says you don't have time to do all the research. Basically, well then you don't have time to believe which it just sounds like a ridiculous statement, but um, uh, that's kind of, Descartes sort of pointing the way toward that. And, and he, and he, he gives us an example of it, right? This is how you do it. You go through, you start with certainty about oneself, certainty about God. And then once you believe, once you recognize that God exists and that God is perfect, then you realize you can trust your senses and so on and so forth. Um, but you must be careful about how you do mm -hmm. it because our free will outruns our, epistemological faculties and that leads us into error and then we end up killing each other because we all disagree right. i mean um, descartes goes so far to say that even if you make a choice about something you don't know 
and it ends up being the right choice, you're still at fault because you you let your your will, your choice, uh, go beyond what you knew. Yeah. So let's. But how how would this apply to con, to our contemporary thought about, for example, where is there space in here for something like faith? Um, is there space in here for is Descartes right about knowledge? Is he right that everything needs to be grounded on some sort of belief that's absolutely certain? Should Christians be like, yeah, Descartes, this is right. This is how we need to go. Um, I, what do you think? At the, at the very least, he can't expect us to all do this project ourselves. There's got to be some trust. Um, I mean, for instance, I really don't know how the uh, engine on my car works or my van works. And, but yet I trust that when I turn the key in the ignition, it's going to start. And when I hit the gas pedal, it's going to go. And that, and, and there are people out there that could explain to me exactly why that works. And with, with some, some effort, I could probably understand it. And, but it's not practical for me to worry about that when I have 50 other things on my plate, I'm trying to take care of. And so, right. um, I think I have a lot, I, I know that my van will work, but I don't have the certainty uh, the personal certainty that Descartes seems to, um, to prescribe, um, even, but again, someone could make the move that, well, there are people who do have that certainty. And so you don't have to have that. It's more of a, we, as a, as a society need to be able to be certain of it because we know there are people who can explain it. Um, would be one way that that someone who wants to follow Descartes could could go to preserve certainty as um, while also saying that we know that our vehicles are going to to work. Right. Um, so there there is a level of of trust with one another because if we all began with every morning starting by okay I need to start with what's certain do I exist what am I and then working your way out from there by the end of the day we wouldn't be very far and we'd have to start over again the next day or whatever. And so there is, a, there's obviously a, le a level of trust. Um, and in Descartes' own writings, there's a level of trust, right? Because he believes that any kind of belief about the world itself requires a, I don't know if he'd use the word trust, but the assertion, the certainty that God exists that God is perfect, that God is not a de deceiver. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we would have no reason to believe that the external world exists and so on and so forth. So imagine if we take God away from Descartes' project. Is he just stuck with himself? Is he able to get anywhere? Um, is there some sort of – is his epistemology grounded in – or his epistemology about the world, I should say, things other than himself? Does he need God for that? It seems that he needs that he needs some something like God in order to at least talk about his experiences. Um, you know, he, if you know, we talked, or, you know, you talked earlier about how he can have the thought of heat, and that can be a kind of innate idea, um, but that whether he's actually experiencing heat or not is a is a different question. 
Um, and so we might be able to say, well, he can have these thoughts, but as far as being certain that these thoughts are, are grounded in, in some kind of meaningful reality, I, I think it's clear he, he needs, he needs a perfect being, whether we want, you know, because he seems to be hesitant to, to treat it as the Christian God. Um, but there's a benevolent being, an all-powerful benevolent being um, at work in Descartes' system for him to get it off the ground, at least for, from my reading of Descartes. Right. I, I think we can, one of the, one of the, and we, we need to wrap it up here soon, but one of the ideas that we're, that we're, we're working our way to is to talk about uh, contempor- more of contemporary epistemology and dealing with ideas of trust and faith and how that relates to Christians from everything from, from teaching virtue and, and so on and so forth, and how do values relate to the way that we think about the world and so forth. And so in many ways, we're, we're not following Descartes necessarily, but we're, we're trying to pick up some of what his, some of what his work was to try to figure out how is a Christian supposed to think about the world? Um, we have these conflicts, for example, you know, the classic faith and science conflict, our faith and science in conflict. Um, what is the no. nature of that conflict? Um, what are we talking about when we talk about faith? And you and I had had a conversation about this, but it's for the TF, uh, the Tactical Faith uh, Radio podcast, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure if that's up yet or not. Um, but uh, the, these are sort of interesting questions. And Descartes seems to throw, he seems to start with the idea that I have, I don't have any trust or faith in anyone or anything. In fact, I think an evil demon might be run on the world. I mean, he doesn't actually believe that. He just allows that to be a doubt. And then he threw certainty, belief in himself, and the certainty of his own ideas, he gets belief in God, and from God he gets everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, where does faith fit into that? Uh, these are some of the questions. And and if you do take God away, perhaps we fall into something like, I mean, I know it's a catch-all generic term, but something like the postmodern critique, um, deconstruction, basically saying something like, Human humans are incapable of rational, of purely objective thought. Everything is corrupted by desire and so on and so forth. And so, therefore, there is no certainty about everything. Truth changes, so on and so forth. Um, it seems to me that, and and this is this is me speculating a little bit, but it seems to me that it's almost like that kind of critique is built upon a Cartesian. Our, Cart- our Cartesian perception of epistemology, and then you take God out. Hmm. And so the only thing that is certain, the only thing that, that we can all, that we should all be able to put our feet on is certainty. There is no certainty. So there's nothing for us to put our feet on. There's no solid ground. Everything is free flowing. You know, it's, it's a, uh, I forget the phrase, but it's something like, you know, it's a mix of, you know, everything's metaphors and it's all contextual and subjective and so on and so forth. And so therefore nobody can say anything about anything. Um, but I think that's a critique of a, of maybe a bad way of looking at epistemology. And this is what we're going to get to. We're going to talk, we're probably going to talk a little bit about logical positivism as it comes in. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to mention uh, people like uh, WVO Quine. We're going to talk about Thomas Kuhn. 
going to talk about Michael Polanyi and the contemporary philosopher now Esther Lightcap Meek and their work on epistemology. And I think it'll get us to this idea, this recognition that not even science is built upon a Cartesian. That not really. This isn't how we find Descartes is wrong. This isn't how we think about the world. And so the conflict between faith and science, the division between fact and value. These are not hard and fast divisions like we tend to think they are, but that doesn't lead us into postmodernism. Right. Um, so that's what we're working toward, and I think we're going to be talking about how virtue relates to knowledge and so on and so forth, and we might even be able to get to the point where we talk about why uh, Paul is willing to say uh, that people's epistemology has been corrupted by sin. Right, mm -hmm. uh, Christians will talk about the quote, the so the noetic effects of sin, the effects of sin on 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 our knowledge. But we're still Cartesians, so we don't think that, or we're sort of like Cartesians, mm -hmm. so we don't really think that sin has an effect. Well, we'll probably get to that um, uh, here in time. So uh, stay with us, and uh, next time, next time I think we're going to jump into Quine. Uh, and his two dogmas of empiricism, and that will be mainly on Joel. He's the one that's going to be presenting most of that. I'll just sit back and ask him questions. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for, for uh, being with us. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Wondering Toward Wisdom podcast, a part of the Tactical Faith Podcast Network. Please check out our page at tacticalfaith.com for our TF Radio podcast, blog, and news about local events. If you'd like to partner with us, please pray for us, share us with your friends, leave comments, and consider donating by going to the Donate tab on our page. If you're interested in having an event in your area in Alabama, please let us know. We'd love to partner with you.